Today we're starting a new sermon series. I love sermon series because it keeps us focused in one lane for several weeks in a row. It just, it's how my mind works, and I think some of you attach to that as well. And so over the next five weeks, Pastor Candy and I will be preaching a series called Describing the Indescribable. There's a story of six men that were born blind, lived in India. I don't know if this is a real story or not, but just go with me on this. Blind guys, they haven't seen a thing their entire life, and so they've lived on the descriptions of other people. They didn't know what a tree was like, and so people would describe what a tree looks like, or different, different pieces of life, and their biggest question was, what does an elephant really look like? And it just so happened that the prince hears about this, and so he invites them to the palace and has an elephant there so that they can check it out. So these six blind men, they go to the palace. There's an elephant. They walk up to it. They are led up to it, six different spots on this elephant, and they begin to talk about what they're sensing, what they're feeling, what it's like. And they've heard about elephants, and people have described them, but then their firsthand experience is more meaningful. And the first one is there at the trunk, and he says... Well, guys, I know exactly what an elephant's like. It's like a big snake. Another one's over by the side, and he feels the elephant, and he says, Whoa, elephants aren't like a snake. They're like a big wall. They're powerful. Another one's by a leg, and he he feels the leg, and he says, This is just like a large cow. That's all this is. Another one's at the tusk, and he feels how pointy and sharp it is. He says, These are deadly. They will kill you. They're shaped like a spear. The last guy, he's at the tail, and he grabs the tail, and he says, elephants aren't dangerous. It's just like a piece of rope. And the prince is there, and he hears them talking, and he says, the problem is is that you have all these different pieces of what an elephant looks like, but because they're separate, you don't know what the big picture looks like. Together, they show you what an elephant really is. How often have we tried to describe the indescribable when it comes to God? with our limited view, whether it's an emotional view of what we've experienced or it's a personal view of the life you've lived or it's somebody else's perspective and we get these small glimpses of the indescribable, yet it's so hard to see the full God of the universe. And my prayer is is as we go through this series that you get a fuller, more complete picture of the indescribable God of the universe. So let's pray as we dive in. Heavenly Father, this morning, May you take puzzle pieces and put them together in the shape of who you are. May we understand you better. May we know what you're like. May we see your true heart in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many words to describe God. Many different attributes. In fact, uh, a friend of mine, uh, one of our church members, just a couple weeks ago, I'd preached a sermon, and Sabbath afternoon, he texted me, and he said, Pastor Matt, uh, I see what you're doing. You're describing God, but he's like a perfect diamond with 58 perfect facets, different angles, different sides, and you're describing the different pieces of God. And it's the same as God. He's got all these different attributes, all these different pieces of him. But I think there's one that is greater than every other piece because you have to understand him through this piece, and that is simply love. If you look through, through any other lens to see God, you will not see him clearly. If you filter your picture of God through anything other than love, then you have missed him because everything about God has to do with love. And this morning, let's journey together to describe the indescribable as we think about his love. If you've got your Bible with you this morning, 
I invite you to open it to 1 John chapter 4. It's in the end of the Bible, just before you get into Revelation. 1 John chapter 4. And if you didn't bring your Bible, there's a blue book in front of you that you can follow along on page 863. And as you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of context. You got Moses and the Israelites. They're out in the desert. They're out near Mount Sinai. Moses has already gone up. He's gotten the Ten Commandments. And as he comes down the mountain, he sees all the Israelites worshiping this golden calf. And he breaks the Ten Commandments, all ten of them at once. Woo! That's pretty dangerous. God says, cut out two more tablets and come up to me. And Moses says, I want to see you. And God, knowing that Moses would be obliterated if he sees him, he decides to give him a sneak peek, just a, a tip of the iceberg view of himself. And God describes the indescribable in, in, uh, in Exodus. We're going to get there in a minute. Context here. I jumped the context a little bit. Let me give you this context. John is the, probably John the Beloved is the one that wrote this. And he describes um, his love for God and God's love for us. And in 1 John chapter 4, we get to see exactly John's description of God. Here's what it says. 1 John chapter 4 says this. Dear friends, verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son, his one and only son, into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. If there ever was a description of God, it's simply that, love. God is the description of love, he's the definition of love, and he's the depiction of love. God is love. There's an Old Testament word that may be the most arguably best word in the entire Bible. It's, it's a word that's used almost 250 times, yet scholars have a hard time defining it, have a hard time uh, translating it, and it's the Hebrew word chesed. Now, our English language doesn't translate it very well, and we use the word loving kindness to describe this Hebrew word chesed, kind of a guttural word, word there. Uh, but I don't like the word loving kindness to define chesed because our word love is really messed up. We have dumbed it down and made it so simplistic that it's meaningless. We say things like, I love the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, do you really? Come on. Does anyone really love the Dallas Cowboys? Okay, we have one, Three, four, five. Okay, you're alone. We say things like, I love my cozy bed and I never want to leave it. You love it? Like you, you want to marry your bed? We, we say things like this, I love pineapple pizza. Can I get a witness, anybody? There's more people that like pineapple pizza than love the Dallas Cowboys. But if that's the definition of what love is, then we've missed the picture of who God is. Seriously, if we can describe God in the same way that we describe Papa John's pizza, then our God isn't much to talk about. But with this word chesed, there's so much more. It's, it's all often used in the Old Testament. It's describing David and Jonathan's relationship of this eternal love. It's the same word that is used to describe Ruth's love to Naomi, 
It's been translated in so many different ways that we wouldn't think of love like this, but words like mercy and compassion and forgiveness and faithfulness and grace, all mixed up in this word chesed, this word for love. And in Exodus chapter 34, where Moses is now going up to meet God, where he's getting the Ten Commandments for the second time, and he says, I want to see your face, and God says, let me give you the sneak peek of who I am. God describes himself with this word, this chesed word. He gives him a sneak peek. He describes the indescribable. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 34. It is on the screen. The Lord came down in the cloud and he stood there with Moses and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. He says, this is who I am. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, the slow to anger God, the abounding in love and faithfulness God, the maintaining love to thousands, God, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin kind of God. If there's ever a description of the indescribable God of the universe, this is what it is because he describes himself. He says, this is what I'm like. If you ever don't know what he's like, read this because this is him. What's interesting is that if you made up a God, a man-made God, if you decided to create a God, you would obviously give him power. He's a powerful God. You'd obviously give him the ability to judge and, and give discipline. But there's one part about a God, a man-made God, that is different about the God of the universe. And it's simply that our God, the God of the Bible, has the ability to love. But not just surface level love, like pizza love. Chesed love. A love that goes beyond your expectations. A love that lasts forever a love that's expressed in forgiveness, a love that's shown through grace, a love that's thick and thin, a love that's uh, unconditional, it's everlasting. I don't know if this makes sense to you, but if you're a dog lover, you might get this. If you're a cat lover, just tune out for a few minutes, you won't understand this whatsoever. But for you dog lovers, you'll get this because in a very small way, chesed love looks kind of like dog love. I've had a couple of dogs and all dogs are the same. Doesn't matter if they're big or small, they all are the same. My first dog was, uh, her name was Magley. Here's a picture of this pup. You've seen her before. In fact, um, Veronica, she's one of our young people. She's sitting up there on the back row. The, she saw this picture during church a couple of a year and a half ago, and she drew, a, drew this dog. It's amazing. What a talent. This is Magley. Uh, what a sweet pup. Blue eye and a brown eye. Always happy. She, uh, her first name was Spree. Jen and I were married for a year, and we said, let's have a dog before we have children. And I'll tell you what, I think that you can tell how good parents will be depending on how well their dogs are trained. Have you noticed this? Some of you are thinking about your friends and their dogs and knowing why their children act the way they do right now. So we get this, we, we, we go online, we go to the Blue Ridge Boxer Rescue, and we're, we're trying to understand which dog is the best. They're all cute, but this, one, this one's got a twinkle in her eye. That means that she's crazy. This one's got a long tail that looks weird. So we finally fall in love with Spree before she was Magley, and we emailed the people. They came and checked out our house to make sure we were safe. Finally, we met up with a foster mom. Her name was Uta Davidson. She was a German lady. 
We drove up across the mountains from Tennessee over near Asheville, and we met her at a gas station. And she gets there, we, we arrive, she opens the back door, and there's this little crate inside, and Spree is in there. And we think, this is the cutest dog ever. She's shaking in the crate, she's nervous. We let her smell our hands, and it's time to go. And so we, we reach in and we grab this pup, and she sits on my wife Jen's lap the whole two, two and a half hour drive home as we're heading back over the mountains. She's just shaking the whole time. Jen's petting her. Now, I don't know what the dog ate the day before, but she had GI issues and she stunk up the whole car. Jen and I look at each other and we say, do we really want a dog? What have we done here? Jen keeps petting her and she notices that there's some other animals that have come along with her. Fleas that are scurrying along her skin and we're thinking, what have we done? You can't take kids back, but you can take dogs back. We get her to our house and we give her a bath with some flea medicine. We dry her off. She's still shaking. She goes on her bed and, she, and, and as the days go on and as we love her, she begins to love us. And her love gets stronger and stronger with us. And here's what's crazy about dogs. Dogs can only love with every bit of their heart. They don't know how to just love part way. They love with everything that they got. They don't care what clothes you wear. They don't care what you smell like. They don't care who you voted for. They don't care if you're rich or poor. Dogs love with everything that they've got. And in a small, very microscopic way, I think we get a glimpse of God's love, his chesed love through the eyes of dogs that love us no matter what. Because that's what God's love is like. Always eternal, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, his love is everything. You know, we think about love oftentimes, especially at weddings. Sometimes people focus their wedding on the, the, uh, the dinner afterwards or whatever, the, the, how much money you spent on it, or the mother uh, always is very involved in these things. But weddings revolve around love. And almost every wedding, you hear a certain love passage, 1 Corinthians 13, that reminds us of what love looks like. Here it is on the screen. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And the last line in this section says, love never what? Love never fails. Yet when we watch people get married and we watch their love journey and their family and their marriage go down the road, so often it splits apart because one spouse cheats on the other or one spouse loses trust in the other or one spouse dishonors the other. And so our picture of what true love looks like is tainted because of human love. And we look at human love and we get afraid of what love is really like. Because if that's what the God of the universe, his love for me is like, then I'm afraid of it. Yet God's love will never fail. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never cheat on you. He'll never dishonor you. With God's love, there is no fear because his love is perfect and perfect love casts out all fear. 
And to be honest, I wonder if this is part of our problem when it comes to describing the indescribable. I wonder if we view God's love through our lens, our human's lens, and and so instead of just basking in his love, we're scared of it. I wonder if we're afraid to trust and believe that God's love is really what the Bible says. And so instead of diving headfirst into the deep end of the richness of God's love, instead we stay in the kiddie pool where it's just shallow. And in case God's love isn't as good as it is, because then we can just stand up and we're safe. Do we choose to view God's love through the lens of why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Or why did he let my mom die? Do we view the depth of God's love through the lens of our own limited human understanding of what love really looks like? And we never truly see God's love. All over the Bible, you can see the the fingerprints of God's love in so many different ways to help shape the picture of God's love, to, to constantly remind us and assure us and retell his love for us. Like this one, Paul says this in Romans, he says this. He says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Height, nor depth, angels, nor demons, principalities, darkness, uh, what you're afraid of tomorrow, what happened last week, nothing can separate us from God's love. God says this, Jeremiah 31, 3, he says, I have loved you with a love that lasts forever. I mean, all through the Bible you see it, you see God's love. He's the loving father when the prodigal leaves the home and goes out and does whatever, and the father doesn't just sit on the couch with his arms crossed, angry that his son has left. He goes down the driveway as far as he can, and he looks down the road that way and down the road this way, waiting for his son to come. He knows he's coming back, and he just can't wait for him, and when he sees his son, he doesn't discipline him. He takes off his coat and gives it to him because he loves him that much. Uh, It's a picture of of the shepherd. He's got 99 sheep in the fold and they're safe, yet he goes out to get the one that's lost because he loves them so much. He's the woman that loses the one coin and he doesn't just say, eh, it's a penny. He says, that one's important to me. And so he he flips the couch over and he pulls the rug back and he finds that coin because he loves it that much. And if that wasn't enough, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or as Paul puts it, he says this, God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, still sinning, Christ died for us. If you ever question the richness of God's love, just look at the cross The cross is the indelible love letter for endless ages to come that shouts of the love of the indescribable. The cross is God's abstract love shown in a concrete way. It's the story of God's love that's undeniable, that's unfathomable, and it's unbelievable. Yet it's real, and it's for you. In September 2018, just a few years ago, Amber Geiger, she made the biggest mistake of her life. Here's a picture of Amber. She was a police officer, uh, just got off duty. She's exhausted, she's tired. She's heading home to her apartment and she gets to her apartment building and as she's going, climbing the stairs to her apartment, she goes to the wrong floor of her apartment. 
She goes to the door that should be hers, yet she's on the wrong floor, and the door is cracked open. So she's on high alert, and so she has her hand on her gun. She enters into what she thinks is her apartment, but it's not. And there are two men that are there. One's on the couch, and she overreacts, and she pulls out her gun, and she shoots and kills Botham Jean, a 26-year-old accountant. Amber has committed murder. More than a year later, as the trial is coming to a close, there in the courtroom, Botham's brother, his name is Brant, he's on the stand, and he shares some words directly to Amber. And I think his words describe the chesed love of God to you and me. A love that is bigger than just a word. A love that encompasses grace and forgiveness and mercy and just pure love. Listen to his words to her and allow them to be God's words to you. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. I think Paul says it best in Ephesians. He says, here it is on the screen for you. He says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. This morning, may you bask in the wonder of God's love. May you ponder and think of how wonderful God's love is, a love that has no boundaries, 
that's unstoppable, that's uncontainable. His love's too big to be defined in just a word, and for the rest of our lives, we'll think, how great thou art.